we are studying the life of Paul at the current series. I'll wait as these handouts are being distributed. The last time we met, I talked about Paul's conversion. But I really didn't do, deal with the Damascus Road experience. I think many people are aware of that. But, but what I did was emphasize uh, Paul's conversion that Paul needed to be saved, even though he had such a strong religious background. And that's what I really wanted to stress, that people who believe that there's a God, people that pray, people that read their Bible, people that are knowledgeable, people that are dedicated, people that are living up to the light of knowledge they have, and you can put in so many other descriptions if they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are lost. They need to place their faith in Christ in order to be saved. And I think that is so important in the day and age in which we live. People tend to think if somebody is halfway religious that they're going to make it to heaven. Or, you know, there's so many people that, that don't believe in the hell, don't believe in so many things, but yet everybody else thinks they're going to heaven. Uh, Paul is a perfect illustration for us to understand how people can be extremely zealous, committed, religious, faithful, and lost. Tonight, I want to approach his background again in a little different way. And I have entitled this, Paul, a challenge to contemporary wisdom. For we're going to look at Paul's life background as a Jew and apply it in perhaps a way that you may not have thought about it before. Um, there are a lot of assumptions, this is why I say Paul challenged the contemporary wisdom, there's a lot of assumptions that are made today that have a lot more to do with sociology than they do with the scriptures. Uh, a lot of attitudes towards missions, towards uh, Christianity, which appeal to common sense, but not necessarily in keeping with the scriptures. One of those ideas it has to deal with culture. And there is a strong emphasis that people need to be a part of the culture that they minister to. And there is a pretty strong thought today that really to be able to have a cross-cultural ministry, uh, you, you, you need to be a, a, of that people group, okay? So in other words, if we're really going to minister to Hispanic people, you better put a Hispanic pastor in that church, okay? If you're going to minister to Russian people, you better have somebody that has a strong Russian background, okay? Tonight, we look at Paul and why he is such a contrast to contemporary wisdom. First, Paul's ministry was primarily to the Gentiles. Romans 11.13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Acts 22.20 20 and 21, 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and proving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, there is a big uh, time gap, obviously, between 20 and 21. But what Paul is doing is saying, you know, I'm the one who stood by Stephen that eventually is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. My point to you is that Paul is sent to the Gentiles. Galatians 1.16. I was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's primary ministry was to the Gentiles. Galatians 2.7. On the contrary, when they, that is Peter, James, and John, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised. In other words, the primary focus of ministry for Peter was to the Jewish people. And the primary focus of Paul's ministry was to Gentile people. Okay? Uh, that doesn't mean that at times Peter didn't minister to Gentiles, nor does it mean that at times Paul didn't minister to Jewish people, but the emphasis, okay, the focus, the primary aspect of Paul's ministry was that he was a missionary to the Gentiles. And I have your note that the emphasis is that the Gentiles were uncircumcised, and I'll tell you why. So it says in Galatians 2.7, when, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that shorthand for Jewish people, but it points out that he was to go to minister to people who had no affiliation with Judaism whatsoever. They weren't proselytes, whatever. They had not been, been circumcised. Peter was to minister to the Jews. So the gospel was entrusted to him, to the circumcised. Two, Paul was sent to minister to the Gentiles despite his impeccable Jewish credentials. One could look at Paul's background and wonder why in the world would God ever send a person like Paul to minister to Gentile people? It seems like an odd fit. Now, notice with me some things. First, Paul was extremely well educated in Judaism. In Acts 2.23, it says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now from Wikipedia, not the most uh, academic of sources, but uh, simply stated, I quote, in the Talmud, Gamaliel is described as bearing the titles Nasi and Rabban, our master, as the president of the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of the Jewish people. Although some dispute this, it is not doubted that he held a senior position in the highest court in Jerusalem. So there's no question, we know from the scripture, that Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin. There is no question that he was extremely influential in the uh, Sanhedrin, for they followed his advice when it came to dealing with these preachers of the word of God. And then, Wikipedia goes on to say, Gamaliel holds a reputation in the Mishnah, 
That is the teaching of the Jewish law for being one of the greatest teachers in the annals of Judaism. Okay, so Gamaliel was a big deal. He was considered the most brilliant mind of the day. And he is considered in Judaism as being one of the greatest Jewish minds of all time. Okay. That's who Paul sat under. That's who Paul was trained by. Okay. If you want to put it in modern day vernacular, Paul went to Harvard. Okay. He went to the highest form of education that one could have. Okay. Not only that, he was steeped in Judaism, both its religion and culture. He was a Jew by birth. Philippians 3.5, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised in keeping with the law. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. Now why that is significant is we're going to look at the fact that circumcision becomes a big deal about uh, the Gentiles. Do they have to be circumcised or not? Paul says, I was circumcised. And I wasn't circumcised later in life. I was circumcised exactly what the law says. The law says you're to be circumcised on the eighth day. That's when I was circumcised. Exactly the way the law requires. He was steeped in Jewish culture. He is referred to as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. One of the other terminologies for a Jew was that they were Hebrews. And they got the name of being Hebrew from the fact that they spoke the Hebrew language. But by the time you get to the New Testament, the children of Israel had been under occupation, okay, when you think of uh, the Babylonian captivity. Uh, and then when you think of the Roman government coming in and taking over uh, the Jewish people, by the time you get to the New Testament, most of the Jewish people didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek. And uh, so much so that you may have heard of the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the uh, Bible that is translated into Greek from the Hebrew. It's the, it's the Hebrew Bible that preceded Christ. But the Bible was translated into Greek because most of the Jews couldn't speak Greek anymore, such as there's a lot of people in this room that perhaps have, have a German history, German background, but they don't speak German. Or, you know, they may have a Swedish background, but they don't speak Swedish. So when you, by the time you get to the New Testament, you find out that, that most, the majority of the people couldn't speak English, they spoke Greek. And another interesting factor in that whole process that uh, creates translation issues is that many times the Old Testament quotations are taken from the Septuagint as opposed to the Hebrew Bible uh, because that's what the people were most familiar with. So they tended to quote the, the uh, Septuagint rather than to quote the Hebrew Bible because that's what most of the people read. Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and meaning I was, a, I was a Jewish speaking, excuse me, I was a Hebrew speaking Jew. So that goes not only with 
language issues, but it goes with all kinds of cultural issues as well. Okay? The Hellenists had become much more uh, a part of the culture. They, they had become uh, Greek, Roman uh, citizens. Uh, so they're, they're, as I say, just a host of cultural aspects. So he was, he was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. He was a Jew by the strictest religious training. As to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest religious sect. Okay, uh, They would be like the fundamentalist or the evangelical Christian of our era. Okay, And just like there are liberal Christians, there were liberal Jews in that day. They were referred to as Sadducees. Uh, one of the little things that you can remember who the Sadducees are is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the inspiration of scripture. They were the liberals of their day. Okay. Then there were the zealots. The zealots were people that were not particularly religious at all, uh, but they were Jewish by background, they were Jewish by culture, but they were very involved in wanting to promote Zionism and a national Ju Judaism. Uh, but they were secular in their mindset. Paul was the strictest of the religious people. He was a Jew by conviction. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, so, you know, he, he just wasn't an academic. He wasn't just somebody that was exposed to Judaism or understood it well, but he was fully convinced of its truth. And he wanted to defend it at all costs. And so he became a persecutor of the church, believing that they were opposing Judaism and opposing the truth. And he was a Jew that trusted in his own righteousness for salvation. Philippians 3.6, as to zeal, persecute the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He viewed himself as sinless. He viewed himself as right with God because of his religious background, because of the culture of the day. You, you, you need to remember that the Judaism of the New Testament is not the Judaism of David. <laughs> it's not the, the Judaism of the prophets, okay? Um, and Paul was steeped in that. So the question is, why did God send Paul to the Gentiles? It seems like a very unlikely fit. Uh, why didn't God send Paul to the Jews? Of, you know, if you just look at it from a natural standpoint, who better to minister to Jewish people than somebody who grew up Jewish, who is Jewish, who understands the Jewish religion better than anyone else, and was held in such high regard and favor. So, why didn't he minister to the Jews? Number three, after he was converted, Paul spent three years rethinking everything that he had been taught about his religious training. Even before Paul was born, God had set Paul apart to minister to the Gentiles. Galatians 1.15. But when he would set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. So before Paul was ever born, God had determined that Paul would be saved and that Paul would minister to the Gentiles. So 
the background of Paul was no accident. God had some purpose. God had some reason in Paul's Jewish upbringing and background. However, at a point in his life, he became saved. Galatians 1.15. But when he would set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. And so that occurs, of course, on the road to Damascus. God called Paul to preach the Gentiles. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. But now we find this. But Paul did not go immediately to the other apostles, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. The verse before in verse 16 says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul is saved on the road to Damascus. Uh, of course, he uh, goes and uh, Ananias uh, anoints his eyes and he's able to see again. But what Paul does at that point is he goes into the Arabian desert for three years to completely rethink everything he'd been previously believed. Galatians 1, 17, 18. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. We don't often think a lot about that three-year period, but before Paul engaged in public ministry, he's spending three years in a desert. According to Galatians, he's received some revelations. Uh, Christ is teaching him the truth of the word of God. But basically what he is doing is rethinking everything that he's been taught from a child. Everything that he had learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Everything that he had been trusting in for salvation. You see, Paul didn't just get saved and then immediately go out and minister. He didn't just get saved and immediately everything just made sense. But when he gets saved, Paul's got to deal with his baggage. Paul's got to deal with all this instruction, all this teaching, all this that contradicts the word of God. All those things that Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said. Remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7? All these things, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said. All those things that Paul had heard it said, but wasn't in keeping with what Jesus taught, he had to rethink. He spent three years doing that. In that whole process, one of the things that Paul became convinced of was Paul learned that one did not have to become a Jew to, or be circumcised in order to be saved. Romans 2.28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So Paul came to realize that being Jewish is really not about circumcision. And just because you're circumcised doesn't mean you're a real Jew, meaning a chosen one. Doesn't mean you're a David, okay? You can just be religious. Any more than being baptized means that you're a Christian. Now, are Christians baptized? Yes. Were Jews circumcised? Yes. But circumcision didn't make them Jewish any more than baptizing someone makes them a Christian. But there are a lot of churches that teach today that you are saved by baptism. Roman Catholicism, 
teaches that you are saved by baptism. Other churches that baptize infants say that it carries with it the promise of salvation. Paul understood the distinction. Circumcision is not the issue. Romans 2.29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul realized that circumcision is not the issue. Therefore, Paul did not even require his converts who became co-workers to be circumcised. Galatians 2.3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So here is Titus. He's a Gentile. Titus becomes a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. So much so that, of course, there's a, a letter written to Titus, the book of Titus. Titus is a Gentile. But Paul never had Titus circumcised. He didn't think that he had to be circumcised in order to be saved, nor did he think he needed to be circumcised in order to be a leader in the Christian church. Paul came to understand the truth. Roman number four. God had also taught Peter that the Gentiles did not have to become circumcised in order to be saved. God had supplied Peter with a vision. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 16, it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour of the day to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, yet he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, not com that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. <clears throat> Cornelius is a Gentile in whom God was at work. And there was a delegation sent from Cornelius to invite Peter to his house. But Peter, being the Jew that he was, would not have gone to Peter's house had he not received this vision. It's okay to eat with them. It's okay. Don't call what I've called unclean common. So Peter then goes to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or a clean. So Paul, Peter says, you know, people, <laughs> as a Jew, I should never be here. The law, now you've got to understand, the law is being defined by the Pharisees. The law is being defined not in the law of the Old Testament, but in the way in which these religious leaders are teaching the word of God, and they have forbid that anybody would ever eat with a, a Gentile or associate. You couldn't even visit a Gentile. And Peter says, I've been told I need to go to you. Peter realized that not only Jews, but Gentiles could be saved. 
Furthermore, the Gentile did not need to become a Jew proselyte in order to be saved. <clears throat> Up until the New Testament, if a person was going to associate with Jehovah, if a person was going to be involved in temple worship, if they weren't Jewish, they had to <clears throat> become a part of the Jewish nation. They did that by circumcision, if they were male, and by adopting the laws and the practices of the Jewish people. But they were considered at that point Jewish, even though they weren't born Jews. And they were referred to as a proselyte. But they, they had to become Jewish if they were going to be saved. So uh, not too long ago, I wasn't here, I was on vacation, but you looked at Rahab in one of the Sunday school classes in the morning. She's a prime example of a person who wasn't uh, a Jew by background, but she came to live among the Jewish people. She adopted the Jewish culture. She adopted the Jewish law. As long as you live like a Jew, you're acceptable. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 35, well, starting with verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Paul, Peter says, I've come to understand that every nation can become acceptable to God. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to be a part of the Jewish people. But as we know, there are going to be people that are saved out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You don't have to become, you don't have to become Jewish. Peter then preached, and the uncircumcised Gentiles believed. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard that word. Okay, So the Holy Spirit comes upon all of these Gentiles. The Jewish Christians were amazed that the uncircumcised Gentiles would be saved. And the believers from among the circumcised. You see... These are Jewish believers. These are Peter. And the cohorts that he brought with him are all people that were saved out of this Jewish background. They were like Paul, who were converted to Christianity. But they were all converted out of Judaism, and so they were all circumcised. Now, they're amazed because they think that if a person is going to be saved... They need to become Jewish. They need to become circumcised. And so they are blown away because the Holy Spirit comes upon these uncircumcised people. I'm going a long way around here to get to a very specific point. Peter then baptized those Gentiles who had believed, which constituted full identity with the people of God. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's how they knew that they were Holy Spirit had come upon them. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So, can anybody say that these people shouldn't be baptized? That we shouldn't recognize them as Christians, right? That's the way you were recognized as a Christian. You were baptized. So, can anybody here, Peter says, say that these people aren't Christians? Obviously not, because... God had poured out his Holy Spirit upon them, and he's not going to pour out his Holy Spirit on people who aren't born again. 
Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. <clears throat> After Paul went to Jerusalem to see Peter, he was approved to minister to the Gentiles, which I already said. So I'm going to move on. Well, uh, 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 let me just say this. Okay, Galatians 2, 9. And when J James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they were, gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they should be circumcised. Okay. Number six. However, there was a strong element among the Jewish converts that believed that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be saved. That is, a Gentile had to be circumcised in order to be saved. There, that was a prevailing thought among these Jewish converts. You had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul did not even require that Titus be circumcised, who was a co-worker, which we already saw. B, Paul resisted these false Jewish converts who were insisting that Gentiles be circumcised. Galatians 2.4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, but notice they're brothers. These are Christians. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, who say that they may bring us into slavery to him we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So these false teachers that were Christians, Paul said, I didn't submit to that at all. Okay, they came in and said, you guys got to be circumcised. Paul said, no, 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 no. See, Paul realized that to give in to the demands of these Jewish teachers would have corrupted the gospel. Verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, so that the gospel would not become that you need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be circumcised in order to be saved. The gospel is not faith plus works, is salvation. And there are a lot of people today that believe that faith plus works is salvation. And Paul said, that's wrong, and he had to adamantly oppose it. Or he said, the gospel's going to be lost. We're back to where we started. We're back to people thinking they're saved because they're circumcised. That's where Paul started. So he's saying this is going full circle. So we didn't give in for a moment. What is remarkable is that Peter gave in to the pressure of these Jewish teachers. Paul had to confront Peter. But when Cephas, that's of course Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. B, the reason that Paul had to condemn uh, to confront Peter is Peter's actions had to be condemned. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Originally, Peter was having full fellowship with the Gentile believers. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. However, Peter began distancing himself from the Jewish believers when these false Jewish leaders came to town. For before certain men came from James, he was eating the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. So when these people that were coming from the Apostle James said, you know, these people ought to be circumcised. What are you doing eating with these people? Why are you associating with these people? They have to be circumcised. Peter, 
up until this point, had been sitting down and eating with them. Why? Because he had the vision. Because God had said to him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Because he had the whole experience with Cornelius. But for some inexplicable reason, when these Jewish Christians show up, Peter sides with them and distances himself from these Gentile believers who haven't been circumcised. All the text tells us, all the text tells us, is that Peter was afraid of confronting and contradicting the Jewish leaders who were teaching that the Gentiles had to be circumcised. Uh, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with, with the Gentiles. When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, fearing these people that were pushing circumcision. Why was he afraid? Why was he afraid? What were they going to do to him? Well, they might have distanced themselves from him. And he's ministering to Jewish people. And so, is he going to take on this element of Jewish people that say you need to be circumcised? Well, if you don't, you're going to corrupt the gospel, Paul says. I think that one of the reasons that he was afraid of them is he really didn't know how to address them. He really didn't know how to defend his position. Uh, Peter was not an expert in the law. Remember when Peter shows up in the book of Acts and they are amazed at Peter, it says, because he was uneducated. And they took note that he had been with Jesus. And those were his credentials. He had been with Jesus. And they listened to Peter. But when it got into this debate over circumcision, Peter really doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to handle it. Eight, since Peter gave in to these Jewish leaders, so did the other Christians who had a Jewish background. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So now the ball starts rolling. And all these other Jewish Christians start separating themselves from the Gentile Christians, just like Peter had. And then even Barnabas fell victim to the false teaching and pressure. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. Now you have to understand who Barnabas is. Barnabas was a good man. Acts 11, 22, 23, and 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and faith. The church in Antioch was the first place where the gospel started to spread to the Gentiles. It happened as a result of the persecution that came. And the church spread. And as they went out, they were primarily reaching Jewish people. But in Antioch, some Gentiles started to be converted. And the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to minister to these Gentile believers. Barnabas worked alongside of Paul. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, 
Now notice his name is not Paul yet. And went and he found him. He brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. So here is Saul, who's going to become Paul, who is teaching alongside Barnabas to help these new Gentile Christians understand the word of God. So Barnabas is in with these Gentiles from day one. And even Barnabas is getting carried away now with separating from the very people that he's been teaching for years. Nevertheless, the Jewish Christians' actions were not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. See, since this had become such a public manner, Paul confronts Peter publicly. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. Okay? So, Peter just doesn't take, excuse me, Paul doesn't just take Peter aside. Because this has become a huge issue. The whole church is separating themselves from these Gentile believers, teaching them that they need to become Jewish, they need to become circumcised in order to be saved. Even Barnabas is going along with this. So, Peter, so Paul says, I had to stand up and I had to declare publicly before everybody. I had to look Peter in the face and say, you're wrong. You must be condemned. That behavior is unacceptable. You are no longer teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a moment. Think of how difficult that is. Think of the courage that takes. Think of the weight of what is taking place. Paul says the gospel is at stake. Is it faith plus circumcision? Or is it faith alone? Paul says it's faith alone. D. Paul tells Peter that Peter was a hypocrite, for Peter had already abandoned the tenets of Judaism. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. So he's addressing Peter publicly. He's looking at Peter and saying, Now, Peter, if you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, you're not living like a Jew. This is not what we have been taught in our Judaism. You're talking about Christ. You're talking about the gospel. What in the world, if you are not living like a Jew, why are you starting to require that these Gentiles live like a Jew? Paul's thorough understanding of Judaism and his Jewish credentials saves the day. Paul identifies with the Jewish Christian leaders. We ourselves are Jews by birth. Paul said, Peter said, uh, excuse me, Paul says, Look, guys, I understand. I'm a Jew. I've been a Jew from, from, the birth, from my birth. Paul states we're not saved by the works of the law. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The we is Peter and the other Christians. He says, we know that we're not saved by our works. That's what we used to believe, people. But that's not what we believe now. None of us do. So we also believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. We've abandoned that. Why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We all believe that, he says. In coming to Christ, we learn that we are all sinners, whether we have been circumcised or not. But if in our endeavor to be justified by Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Paul is saying we're sinners whether we're Jew or Gentile. If we go back to trying to be justified as a result of circumcision, we are back into the fallen state in which we started. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul says if I go back to that, if I start building that whole scheme up again, if I'm going back to being saved by faith plus circumcision, I'm back to where I started. I'm back to where I was when I was eight days old. I'm back to all that Jewish teaching. Paul was not looking to anything associated with the Jewish past to save him. Galatians 2.19, For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. He's simply saying, through that teaching, I died to that. I gave that up. I learned that that's not what saves me. I learned that what saves me is faith in Christ alone. If circumcision was the way to salvation, Jesus did not have to die. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I can be saved by keeping the law of God, then Jesus never had to die. That's what I used to believe. That's what you used to believe, he's saying to these, these people. But Christ did die. Christ rose again. And we're saved by faith in him. Conclusion. Peter did not defend the truth as he should have. B. Paul protected the Gentiles from the, from the Jewish influence. C. Paul's own personal thorough rejection of Judaism provided him with the understanding and influence to reject the influence of such prominent individuals. It's Paul's background... that brings all of these Jewish leaders to their knees. When it came to the law, nobody was taking Paul on. When it came to understand what Judaism taught, nobody's going to rise up and say, oh, Paul, you're wrong. That's not what we believe. Paul knew the Jewish, the Jewish faith inside and out in its understanding of that New Testament era. He had the credentials. He was rising in Judaism. He was an apprentice to Gamaliel. He was there when Stephen was being stoned. He consented with the stoning of Stephen. He cast a vote. He said Stephen should die, but God saved him. And when he stands up, and even to Peter... And remember, this delegation comes from James. Two apostles and Barnabas, 
who are going into this realm of you need to be circumcised to, to be saved, Paul stands up and says, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the gospel. That's not what we believe. And that background, that training, really was not so that he could identify with the Gentiles. It wasn't so that the Gentiles would welcome him so, so open-armed and, and, and freely. I mean, it was an obstacle that had to be overcome. Paul's got to work through three years. Just imagine Paul working through in his own mind about working with these Gentile people, with all the stuff that he's been taught, that now he's got to go cross-cultural, and now he's got to work with the Gentiles, and now he's got to eat with them, and now he's not going to circumcise them, and now he's going to live like a Gentile lives. But he can explain from the scriptures that that was the right thing to do. And in the sovereignty and wisdom of God, Paul is chosen by God to minister to the Gentiles so that he could protect the Gentiles from Judaism. And there was nobody as equipped to protect the Gentiles from Judaism than Paul, the former Jew. He could say, guys, don't be taken in by this. And if you read the book of Galatians, it's all about this aspect of standing firm to the gospel. It's about why, having begun in faith, are you trying to be made perfect by the law? He is just preserving them. So, the conventional wisdom would have been, why in the world would God ever send this Jewish guy with his Hebrew and all the other things to work with the Gentile people who don't speak Hebrew and it would be easy to say, well, that must have been a waste. That must have, you know, why, why, why would God ever do something like that? So that he could stand up and say to these Jewish leaders, with authority, with conviction, with understanding, that's wrong. That's wrong. And uh, I assure you that there's more going on than simply what is stated in Galatians. We, of course, have the council that takes place in Antioch in, in Acts chapter 15, where the whole church has to come together and decide this. But understand that it's Paul that is saving the day when it comes to this doctrinal error about circumcision. Just like we need people today that can stand up. And when the church is going astray doctrinally, stand up with authority and say, that's not the truth, that's not what the Word of God teaches and be able to confront, be able to confound, be able to rebuke, be able to, from the scriptures, demonstrate that this is accurately what the word of God says. And uh, we need to understand that uh, it's really a part of our sociology that says we can't minister cross-culturally. In fact, we need to minister cross-culturally. And one of the things that we need to do is understand that they don't have to become American. The church in Africa doesn't have to look like the American church. It doesn't have to adopt American policies. All they have to do is put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, for years, really, a lot of missionaries have tried to Americanize uh, other cultures. So they dress like we dress and they behave like we behave. And, a lot of times even sing the hymns that we sing rather than their own uh, 
cultural hymns and their own rhythmic functions. Um, we need to be careful. Be on guard for the gospel. But uh, that's Paul's unique background. And uh, God had a purpose in it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for the way in which you work in such a sovereign fashion. Lord, uh, many times amazing us with what you do. But we thank you for the life and ministry of Paul and the unique way in which you equipped him and readied him to be the defender of the Gentiles. Thank you that he stood against this, this doctrinal error, even to the point of opposing the apostles, and able to do so because he had not consulted with them, but, but rather he had gone to the scriptures and sought your understanding and put into place all that he had been taught for so many years and uh, put it through the grid of what the word of God actually teaches and submitted to the word and not to his, his cultural leanings and background. But thank you, Lord, that the gospel was preserved and help us. For there are many things that easily creep into a church that actually put the gospel at stake. There are many churches that don't teach that Jesus rose from the dead. There are many churches that teach that Jesus was not born of a virgin. There are many churches that teach that the Bible is not an inspired word of God. Lord, equip us and ready us to stand firm. That no matter what people say around us, that we know what the truth is and we are willing to confront, we are willing to take on, we're willing to defend what the scripture says. And may we do so by your grace and your empowerment and your enablement. And may we be instruments of preserving your truth, even as we heard in the book of Timothy. Commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also that they will pass on the truth of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.